Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today, squarespace.com. Offer code is CanadaLand. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. So, I went to this secret meeting of very powerful people where we all got together and plotted the future of the Canadian media. Okay, that's a bit hyperbolic. They're not that powerful. These are the people who run Canadian news organizations, but, you know, and it wasn't that secret. I mean, the Canadian press reported on it. I'm talking about it now. So how secret can it be? It's semi-secret. I can't tell you who was there and I can't tell you who said what. All of that is protected by Chatham House rule, which I agreed to observe and which I looked up. Not necessarily in that order. You know what? Let me back up here. Um, Here's what's going on. The Trudeau government is considering doing something about the crisis in Canadian news. They have contracted a nonpartisan think tank. 
the Public Policy Forum, which is headed by former Globe and Mail editor-in-chief Ed Greenspan, to conduct this national research project into what, if anything, should be done about the fact that the Canadian news business is dying. Should the government just stand back and let it burn to the ground, or, you know, should they get in there and do something? To answer this question, the Public Policy Forum invited to this semi-secret meeting everyone who is currently engulfed in flames, plus a few digital news startups, including CanadaLand. Now, I have told you a bit about this before, but I haven't been able to say much until today, because today, former Globe and Mail editor-in-chief Ed Greenspawn will be with me. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Michelle Poles, Scott Harris, Allison McNeil, J.D., Jeff Slomkowski, Michael Vernon, Andrew Slavin, and Sarah O'Neill. Sarah, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land provides something unique compared to traditional news. There's no agenda, just honest reporting, accountability, and awareness. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Maybe you've been putting off getting a website or, you know, fixing your crappy old website. If you have been meaning to put a polish on your online presence for, you know, your landing page, a gallery, your professional portfolio site, or, you know, if you actually do business online, if you're running an online store or anything else, Squarespace is a really good solution to your problem. You can get this up and running very quickly. You can pick a beautiful template from their library of templates and very quickly and very easily, and it's kind of fun, 
personalize that site, make it your own site and have a, just a completely contemporary responsive website that'll do anything you need it to do. If you have this problem of needing a website or a better website and you need it solved, why not just go and check it out? Start a free trial today at squarespace.com. Start playing around with it. Use the offer code CANADALAND at checkout. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. You run the Public Policy Forum. Media Math is about figuring out how to best serve the public and ensure that the public has journalism. Why is the process so private? Well, I don't think the process is, uh, is, is private at all. First of all, here I am talking to you sure. on a podcast to, what, millions of listeners, Jesse? Millions and millions okay. of tens and, of thousands uh, of listeners. And maybe this will be, you know, the breakthrough podcast. Uh, I'm not sure. And, you know, we will release a public report. We will have a uh, symposium, uh, some uh, roundtables uh, that we're doing across the country where we feel that people are a little bit more open to talk about, uh, about you know, the issues as they see it. In, in an atmosphere in which it's on the record, but uh, not for attribution, if you will. What you have referred to here is Chatham House Rules, and I think read the definition out of Wikipedia or something, yes. Yes, and thank you for familiarizing me with it. I had to figure out what I was uh, getting myself into. Um, and so we can talk about what was said, uh, but we can't talk about who said it. And the reason for that, as you explain, is that people would feel a little bit more inhibited about actually engaging in the process openly. I have to kind of unpack that a little bit because we are talking about the people who I cover. These are, without naming any names, I, I don't think I'm breaking Chetham Hus rule to say that, at least at the roundtable that I attended, most, if not all, of the major news organizations were represented at very high levels. It would be important to them for their comments to not be attributed. I have to kind of question that and say, okay, well, here we are, engaging in a process to determine what, if any, subsidies or policies the government should put in place to safeguard news journalism in Canada. And here are the people who run these news organizations who don't want to be quoted when it comes to their thoughts on whether or not the government should do that. Well, you know, there's different venues in which to talk to people and reach people. I am, as you started off, the public policy forum. My goal here is to try to help us uh, achieve if policy is required or if policy needs to be amended uh, in some ways, you know, the best policies forward. To do that, I think, you know, I've got to understand the state of the industry and by the state of the industry, you know, all aspects of the industry from new startups, uh, digital startups like your own to, you know, uh, 150 year plus newspapers like uh, like the Globe and Mail. This doesn't stop uh, journalism from doing its job. At the moment, I am a journalist, not practicing journalism, practicing uh, public policy. Right. And as a journalist and as, a, as a, an editor, you know that, you know, you'd rather have a quote attributed than a quote unattributed. Yes, but you also probably know that you'd rather, you know, you as a journalist will talk to some people in the course of a story on background and you'll talk to some people in the course of a story on the record. Um, you know, in the stories I can think of that, uh, that you've been involved with breaking, you know, that's clearly been a rule. Why didn't you put those people on the record? I mean, it's the same kind of question because you're trying to understand what's going on and then you're going out and, uh, and, uh, and asking your questions as, as a journalist. I don't mean to play dumb. I mean, like, I know why... If you were to say to the people who run news organizations, come to this meeting, it'll all be live streamed on Facebook uh, as you make your case for whether or not your company should receive some sort of consideration from the government, um, they probably wouldn't come. They don't want to be seen that way. Well, first off, let's take the – let's unpack the idea of receive some consideration from the government. So, okay. th so this is not an exercise in figuring out, you know, what size spoon we should feed, you know, a given media outlet – 
you know, that's not what this is about at all. What this is about is asking the question, and you know the three questions particularly that we're asking, you know, does the decline of traditional media um, pose a risk to the civic function of journalism, therefore the health of democracy, is question one. Question two, if so, are new digital media and new digital forms of communications filling that gap or likely to fill that gap in the uh, near term? If not, is there a room for public, for public policy, need for public policy, and what would that look like in as uh, uh, unintrusive a way as possible? So, you know, this is an exercise in, is democracy being ill-served by the um, uh, difficulties that are being experienced in the media and the transition, because it's not all difficulties, there's wonderful opportunities being produced too, and the transition that we're going through in the media. Yes, no, and no. So you, you could have just come to me and we would have... Uh, uh, very sorry, and that's on the record too. <laughs> well, I mean, it was so interesting to see the, how lofty some of these questions are. Is democracy being ill-served? And somebody there, uh, and I'll, I'll sort of pepper our conversation with quotes that I want to attribute. Somebody said, we're not here to save the news industry. We're here to save democracy. I felt like I was at the meeting of the Justice League. I don't mean to be cynical. I do obviously think that democracy is best served by having journalists keeping government to account. And one thing that kept coming up is that, you know, right now there's no full-time reporter of the Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan legislature for the first time in anyone's memory. So there is a problem. I appreciate that this was, you know, a process to address a problem. And I don't, I don't think that anybody could deny that we're at a low point in terms of feet on the ground doing the daily Okay, well, let's, 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 let's run with that for half a second, because okay. you're a yes, no, no guy, which is an interesting uh, uh, configuration in a way. Yes, the civic function of journalism is being, uh, is being threatened of, of tr- from traditional media outlets, yes. and, and therefore the health of democracy. Uh, no, digital is not yet filling that gap. No, I don't think there's a room for policy, you know, is, is, uh, is, is your position. I'll put an asterisk uh, on the last one, but we'll get back to that. Well, maybe the asterisk will, you know, take me out of my agony here. What do you mean by the asterisk? Should the government, does the government have any role to play in addressing the problem that that Canadians have fewer journalists uh, serving them than ever before? Yes, I support public broadcasting, and I, I, I think. Okay, that, well, that that is public policy. That's right. So, 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 so you've now agreed to the principle of public policy. <laughs> now we have to figure out what kind of public policy is good public policy, and what kind of public policy is bad public policy. That's right. So, you're, so, so you're, you're you're yes, you're you are a yes, no, yes. This is going to be easy. I, I, I will actually just be in agreement this whole time. We might not be because I, I guess I agree with. Andrew Potter, who I, I also participated, and I can disclose that he participated because he disclosed that, like, like me, he, he wrote about his participation in Media Math. He said, at the end of this... You want to tell people Andrew Potter is? Andrew Potter, of course, is the former editor-in-chief of the Ottawa Citizen, um, who's now, I believe... Uh, He's at McGill University now. Uh, at McGill. He said, at the end of this, there's probably going to be some pressure on the government to do something partly because the decline of the news media does seem to be a real problem, but also because you don't launch these sorts of exercises without setting up the expectation that something will come of it. So the Heritage Ministry asked your think tank to conduct this entire process. That makes kind of common sense, horse sense to me. You don't go to a think tank and put resources behind that and make that publicly known if you do not have an appetite to address the problem, to to create some sort of public policy solution which I will further assume may include some form of subsidy, especially because you're inviting the heads of all the news organizations to come and say, hey, do you think that the government should give you money or considerations? Of course, they're going to say yes. They're, they're, they're gasping for air right now. One kind of concern I had participating with this is that the problem as it was most commonly expressed around the table 
was that legacy media is really hurting and is uh, facing this existential crisis. The problem from my viewpoint is that we have not seen the proliferation of new experimental uh, models, new sustainable smaller digital models. It just hasn't been happening in Canada no, anywhere near the same scale. And, you know, you, you've pointed out one of the reasons why. But to me, that's a bit more of an urgent problem. So, so uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, and, you know, you were one of six roundtables. And you happen to be with the one because, uh, A, uh, Toronto is the media capital of the country. And, B, you happen to be a media owner yourself. You were at the one that probably had more media ownership around the table than might be at others. But we will be doing one in China, and you talked about the Saskatchewan legislature a few months ago and not having a full-time reporter, and that's an interesting question to uh, to explore local, regional um, uh, realities around news. We'll be having not just a round table, but also a symposium in Vancouver that will be dedicated precisely to the question you're talking about, about innovation and digital media and why there isn't more of it and what it takes in a country, perhaps Canada's scale, uh, Canada's size, with uh, a greater difficulty to scale up to uh, to a size that uh, can produce an economic return in Canada. So those are questions, you know, I, I agree completely. Those are very, very important questions for us. Well, you know, startups always address the problems that, that are regional to them. And we've kind of heard this uh, refrain that what you need to make it as a digital business is scale and you need bulk visitors, bulk eyeballs to sell bulk, bulk ad sales uh, if, you're, if you're just doing a, a strict advertising. If that's your model. If that's your model. There were some companies represented there who actually are saying, you know what, there's no problem at all. Uh, there was one particular local digital news startup that said, when are legacy media newspapers consolidated and, and stopped serving the, these communities, that was our opportunity. And I can't say who they are. I'll leave it to them to out themselves. They said, we, we're, we're doing great. I'm sure if you invite them on the show, they'd be happy to tell their story. Oh, I, I, I have, and they will be appearing, and we'll, okay. we'll, 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 we'll name them then. But, but they basically said that they've sold out 75% of their uh, advertising re- uh, revenue themselves, not through Google, because they are serving communities that legacy media is no longer serving. So they're in a similar position to me, which is, you know, we can talk about church and state and how there's a problem with government subsidizing the news business. And there is an inherent problem. We should talk about that. But I'm a much pettier, smaller person than that. And I'm, I run a news company. I don't want you, you being the government via this uh, think tank to, uh, or on the recommendations of a think tank, to give me a dime if you're giving my competitor a dollar. Right? Uh, I don't want money going. And I know how subsidies have worked in the magazine business. The small magazines get a pittance and the big magazines get six, seven figures uh, a year. And so uh, some of them. And so those same media brands are putting out podcasts. So I don't want the government to be subsidizing my competitor. If anything, if I'm if I'm going to be, as these businesses get more and more online, in direct competition with Canada's legacy news brands, uh, it would be much better for me if they were allowed to just sort of play out. If, if they can't swim, I, like we haven't taken any government money here. We're doing this and we're in the black. So why should a big company like that get underwritten by the government to come and try to put me out of business? Well, I, I um, agree. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid we're not going to have a big argument about this. I, I think that, you know, so you now have revealed yourself as, uh, as an interest at the table. You've got, you've got, you know, your own economic interest, your own uh, uh, business interest. Absolutely. It makes you no different in some ways than the CBC as a petitioner or the Globe and Mail and Toronto Star and uh, Post Media as petitioners or, or anyone else. Everybody's got their interests. 
my interest, if I may say, is, is you know, to have a very healthy ecosystem that serves democracy well. And, and, and you know, we actually at the moment probably have um, one of the best ecosystems that's ever existed. You know, people have a tremendous range of opportunity. Unfortunately, part of it is incrementally um, falling year by year by year. I don't know if it's imploding uh, completely. There might be, there's, I think, you know, bigger bursts along the way. Last January in Canada, we saw, you know, um, major layoffs at Post Media, major layoffs at Rogers, the closure of the Guelph paper, the closure of the Nanaimo paper, the closure of the Toronto Star printing plant. All that occurred within a 10-day period. I think that was actually, you know, a feeling of implosion occurring. You think things have improved since then? No, I'm not saying things. I'm saying that it's more of an incremental degradation uh, that's going on. You know, not ultimately a key point how quickly it's happening, that it's it's happening is, uh, is, is the more important point. And so, you know, I think our group's recommendations have to be, how do we have a, an ecosystem that works? Now, maybe the answer is in question two. Maybe it's how do we help the digital players have... Um, let's call it the journalistic scale for a moment in order to to you know do what they really can do you know maybe the answer's there maybe the answer is in slowing down the decline elsewhere or helping innovation there i think the answer probably is certainly on the innovation side i don't think the answer is in how to keep a totally uneconomic and perhaps irrelevant shipbuilding operation going i don't think this is about uh, about you know how to perpetuate um, bad business models and losing business models. I think it's about how to serve democracy. And and I should just clarify one point. You know, we will make recommendations that will be released publicly and the government will see them as well. You know, we're not writing the government's policy for them. If they may adopt it, I mm-hmm. hope it will be very well argued and very well analyzed and highly influential. You know, they can uh, sort of say, we, you know, are you crazy? We have no interest in that. Okay, they could say that. But my guess is that out of all of the different things that you might do, you'll probably come up with a series of recommendations that will be, you know, a Canadian middle path. And and the government will probably take that and forge some Canadian middle path policy that takes some reasonable... You know, let's wait and see. You're ahead of me. You know, maybe you're (laughs) right. Maybe it will be a bland middle path. Maybe it will be more interesting. I'm not there yet. You know, the devil's in the details of these things. You can make it about innovation and not about propping up old business models. And then the old guys will just say, well, we're innovators now. So give us the money and and they'll put that innovation money towards, I don't know, maybe things like uh, podcasts. So, you know, my, my, my spotty sense, of course, is tingling with all of this. It, the public is the biggest stakeholder. And this is not about, I would hope, propping up dying businesses, as you say. It is about making sure that somebody is keeping an eye on the store, that there are journalists keeping an eye on our institutions in this, in this country. It felt a bit to me like getting the horse and buggy convention together to figure out what to do about cars. You were there. Um, I'll leave it for you to judge whether you're a relic of the buggy whip industry. You're the last gasp of the buggy whips, or the uh, give or, me a few or, years or, or the new the, cars. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you know uh, his, history will uh, uh, will figure that out. But you know, it's not uh, the car industry, and it's not the buggy whip industry. It's the industry that informs people so they can make good democratic choices, whether in national elections or provincial elections or school boards or. Or, you know, what goes on in the courts, they can be informed, they can be civically uh, functioning within one another with that, uh, with that information. Now, the new ecosystem allows uh, citizens to participate in a way that citizens never participated before. That's a great, great advance. For me, um, you know, the kind of penny dropped in a way, and uh, I can't remember, it was around 2011 or 2012 during the Arab Spring, 
when uh, the um, Assad regime bombed a, a, a city called Homs, attacked a city called Homs in Syria. And 30 years earlier, a uh, father of Assad had perpetuated a massacre in that same town. 30 years earlier, nobody was there to bear witness. In 2011-2012, the residents of that town uploaded thousands and thousands of videos. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, well, which is the superior system here? Well, the superior system is having both systems. It's also that I can go read Patrick Martin in the Globe and Mail and understand not just what happened, but why is it happening? What does it mean? You know, so I think we have a very rich system right now. As I say, part of it's in decline, and we're not sure that the other part will rise. Is the cake going to rise adequately on the other part? I think those are the challenges in front of us. And as you've appropriately put it, the people, the public, is who needs to be served here. Let's let's talk about the CBC for a moment, because I mean that seems like the obvious. I mean, there's a, there's a couple things that struck me as the obvious solution, and one is that we have this obstacle to charitable journalism, and that should be removed. And the other seems to be that the CBC has lost its way. The we we have already, as a country, decided that we do want to have taxpayer subsidized journalism. And you know, I'm not like an extremist with these things. It's not, I'm not like a laissez-faire libertarian, like hands off, let, let the chips fall where they may. If the news business has to be destroyed and everybody has to lose their job and the country has to be without journalistic representation for a few years, then fine. No, I mean, that is a problem. But we, we have baked in a solution to that problem. It's called the CBC. You ask Canadians why they support the CBC, those who do, and 85% of them say for news. But the CBC seems to be more interested in being a media brand than a public broadcaster. And the resources there are distributed throughout everything from, you know, sitcoms to children's programming to doing BuzzFeed style clickable uh, content. Would not a sound recommendation, and are you exploring a recommendation, to, to revisit and strengthen the CBC's mandate to help them refocus their efforts that what we want them for is is to make sure that we're never without news coverage in this country, like specifically like regional news coverage. Well, I think I can say a couple of things that people have talked about in the roundtables about the CBC so far. And one of those things, and, you know, this is uh, well known outside of the roundtables too, you know, uh, the publishers of newspapers are resentful that the CBC has created what they consider a newspaper itself online and is selling advertising that's competing with them. And they feel that, you know, publicly financed uh, institution and public money is being used to compete against uh, against the publishing industry, the classic newspaper publishing industry, and that's harming them, them and taking money out of their pockets. So that's an issue that we've heard and that you're very f uh, familiar with. Which I'm echoing in a sense with my podcast argument. I mean, and they are now selling ads on their podcast. So I think that's a sound argument. And you, you might say the CBC that people love best is CBC Radio One without ads. You know, maybe we should just pay the CBC to be a news service and strip them from the ability to sell advertising. That's helpful to me. So uh, I'm here to help. Have you, have you, well, if you are here to help, you know, if you take the proposition of question one, that there is a, a decline in traditional media and question two, that uh, digital media is not yet ready, how do you see us solving this? Because now you're actually a public policy guy. You moved from no to yes uh, about 10 minutes ago. We're now having a good conversation <laughs> of yes. So seriously, what would you uh, recommend as the course? Very concretely, just as I've said, I think that we need to uh, remove the obstacle to, to charitable and academic efforts to, to start up nonprofit models. Because I think that some kinds of journalism, like investigative journalism, there just might not be a business model for it. But there's lots of things we do in society that we don't make money off of, 
that are not profitable, but we do them anyhow. And we find ways to accomplish that. And it seems that other countries are finding ways to accomplish journalism outside of a profit model. And we, we can't seem to get there here. So I, I think that we could stimulate that, you know, mostly by getting out of the way. But perhaps there are some uh, ways that... Uh, the... is, is Canada Land a not-for-profit? No, Canada Land is a for-profit business. Okay. So for-profit models should exist sort of, uh, I, I guess, uh, beside non-profit models in, in what you're in what you're. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I mean, about. I kind of come from a startup mentality that we need to try uh, not a couple of big experiments, start touch like huge gambles, but we need to do dozens, if not hundreds of experiments, small time, little experiments that... Uh, let you a know, thousand flowers bloom. Let a and, thousand and, news you know. flowers bloom. Yeah. Which and, is what's happening around elsewhere. And we're seeing some of them are sustaining and, and some of them are scaling up massively and others don't need to scale up. You know, if, if what I do does what it does, but sustains in perpetuity, it'll be bucking the trend of so many Canadian digital news startups, which, you know, burn off a few million dollars in startup money and then disappear. So so, so what do you think when one of these um, legacy models does what La Presse has done, for instance? So they, they change their, their business model, you know, fairly radically, while still employing a fair-sized, critical mass of journalists. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing. I mean, if it's true, there's some skepticism about La Presse's numbers and whether or not they've pulled off exactly what they said they pulled off. But I, w- I would be, uh, I think that newspapers do some things incredibly well and the deep institutional knowledge that beat reporters have. And there's, there's some projects that I think it would be wonderful if the dinosaurs could give birth to mammals. We haven't seen it yet. We've seen, I think, a lot of American news brands do a better job of at least really going for it and getting it. One thing I have to admit to you, and I, I don't imagine you'll be able to commiserate, given the station of many of the people in attendance, I was shocked by how rudimentary their understanding was of some of these changes and some of the things that were shared at that table, like why don't we beef up copyright laws and have a, a SOCAN licensing system so that when people share news stories, the, the content creator can get compensated. And people don't have any respect for intellectual property anymore. And we're, we're raising a generation of kids to just share content without, without uh, thinking about who the content creators are or whether those people get paid. I mean, these are the kind of noises the music industry was, was making like 10, 15 years ago. I was, I was very surprised. So are, 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 you, are you shocked because uh, they think that that's the answer to the problem? Or are you shocked because um, you don't think that there should be an ability to hang on to you know, the copyright of the broadcast that we're going to do or the podcast we're going to do here? Well, of, of course you hold on to the copyright. I mean, I was shocked at their lack of understanding of how even copyright works, uh, that copyright is somehow some magical system whereby these are the same companies, their own news brands, they have the ability to flip a switch and that would stop Google from showing their news stories in, in search results. They could flip a switch that would stop Facebook from aggregating the news stories. Their own teams desperately want their stories to be shared widely. And here they are bemoaning the fact that people are sharing their stories. And also with this very strange, I mean, we used to hear a lot more about Huffington Post aggregating people's stories and not giving credit as if that's actually the, the threat. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I think you touch on a very difficult issue there to figure out the balance of if I'm going to figure out a middle of the road, you know, bland Canadian balance, as you uh, as you suggested we might. But but I think this is a, this has been a difficult question for publishers for a long time. You know, on the one hand, you want to hang on to your property that comes out of your organization, the stories and articles that separate you and distinguish you and make the contribution, and you want to make money off those to pay your journalists and to, you know, hopefully pay your owner some kind of uh, return too, although I think uh, very few owners uh, are, are getting returns in Canada now. 
On the other hand, you want you need the reach, particularly of the large platforms, in order to to get to as many uh, people as possible. And so you don't really want them monetizing yourself, your content, without paying. But you feel the need to uh, you know to go where the audience is. And I think that's uh, I think that's quite an interesting conundrum uh, that uh, uh, that one needs to get right now. There's different models in the country. The New Brunswick Telegraph Journal, not a well-known uh, newspaper, and and when it's known, it's known mostly for its uh, ownership by the Irving family. But it has a hard paywall, the sort you're describing. There's not very many hard hard paywalls in Canada. It has a you want anything in the New Brunswick Telegraph Journal, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to take a subscription. You're not going to get any of it for free. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you know, that's the kind of model you were saying. Why don't they just lock it down? It'd be very interesting to understand that better and understand how it works and whether I understand it, if it can work in a, in a place like New Brunswick that's more contained but can't work in a place like Toronto where there's a, a great uh, deal more media choice. I think the general proposition that, um, that some people talk about you know, let's just take it from you or me as uh, as journalists. You know, we find out a story, we create a story. Let's say we're just our own independent operators, and you, in a sense, are, although you have you know people you employ, but you are. Well, you don't want just anybody grabbing it and uh, and using it and uh, and selling advertising against it without your permission. I guess that makes some sense. It seems. Oh, sure, for people to sell advertising against my content, but I mean that is not really the issue when you have, as you say these brands that want the uh, exponential sharing effect. They want the bulk eyeballs that a platform like Facebook can provide. So they allow Facebook to share their content and they basically enter into a profit sharing deal. Now, some people would say that in doing so, they've done a deal with the devil. Uh, it's suicide. If you hand distribution over to a company like Facebook, you'll, you're, you're done. You've lost all power and you'll always get the short end of the stick. Uh, and I think that that actually is I mean, you, you bring it up you know, a great example. Small regional newspapers can do a hard paywall. Basically, they found the market for their news. They've, they, they have introduced the idea that their news has value. They've put a number on that value, and they've had a conversation with their market. The market has said, okay, we'll pay for this, and they, you know, I, I hope that they're sustaining with that. And that can work in an instance where that newsreader can't get that news from anyone else. A brand like the Globe and Mail, uh, they could do a wonderful series on the Olympics, but they're going to have a harder time selling that behind a paywall because you can get Olympics coverage from anywhere. I mean, we're really just talking about value. Right. We're, well, we're talking about the ability to um, um, break out your own niches. Yeah. And to, um, I think, dedicate enough resources to those uh, niches where you think that you can uh, be distinctive in that marketplace. How can you turn that into uh, a revenue-generating property that helps support, presumably, the journalism that we all need. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we talk about the public, and it's really the relationship between journalists and the public. It's the information between the information flow and the public that's important. So, you know, I think there's some news organizations that have uh, a, a more natural geographic ability to do that. There may be some who have uh, subject matter that's uh, uh, that's very good. There may be some non-news you know, some upstart organizations like, you know, yeah, who may, you know, say, okay, we can really do the Toronto Blue Jays better than anybody in the world. And actually people come pay us to do that. Or we can do media coverage um, because really nobody's actually doing that in a hard hitting way. And, uh, and people are interested in that. You know, one of the questions is, will those, 
what you describe as legacy companies, and you know I prefer the word incumbent companies. Legacy sounds like you know it's uh, um, their death warrant is written already. Oh, I, I know what it sounds. And, like. and and I don't think that's necessarily so. Right. Um, you know, are they going to be able to recreate themselves? Right, and I think that that was part of my concern with this whole process. If the question is, will we still have journalism in this country after this process works itself out that we're going through right now? Undeniably, I think the answer is yes, we will have journalism. And perhaps it needs some kind of artificial stimulation, perhaps it doesn't. But if the question, how do we sustain journalism, gets interpreted as how do we sustain post-media or how do we sustain the Globe and Mail, how do we sustain the Toronto Star, then my fear is that five or ten years down the line or even sooner, when the rest of the world has figured out that the newspaper is not necessarily the vessel for news of the future – same way that the horse and buggy, we still have transportation, even though we got rid of a technology, that Canada, and you know, I said this at the, at the roundtable, that Canada might become some sort of bizarro Galapagos island where we have artificially sustained these incumbent brands, which inhibit, uh, yeah. which stop these experimentations. And you know, uh, what, what Potter concluded with is he said, you know, what the government should do above all is avoid doing anything that will hinder the ferocious process of creative destruction that needs to take place. Worse than doing nothing would be a system that bakes in the status quo. That's my fear. That's why I'm giving you such a hard time in this sweaty uh, little I don't studio. Feel like you're giving me a hard time. And you're me. being very generous <laughs> with your time. And you're the only person who, you know, I, I can't, you, the, the, you're the guy who I got to talk to. So I know that you're not advocating for one path or the other, but you can understand my concern that when I see these very powerful people getting together, I question the idea that what they would do as soon as they reachieve sustainability would be to reinvest in. Uh, civic journalism of the highest order. I think they just want to sustain. And they and they and what they showed me at that meeting was that they're not necessarily rolling with the times as you might expect and it is 2016. Um yeah. The future's much more likely to be in digital than it is to be in paper. Even when I was in the newspaper business, I understood that. Before I was editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail, I was founding editor of GlobeMail.com. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even back then, which is, uh, you know, now uh, um, 16, 17 years ago, you know, it was quite apparent that there was a different path that the future was going to take and that, uh, and that traditional news organizations had better get on that path. And most of them have got on that path. The question is, have they got on it adequately? Have they got on it with actually really understanding it? Can they maximize it? Can they engineer it? Um, And I think, you know, you would make an argument, no, that they haven't. And I think, you know, that's a very legitimate argument for you to make. You know, are some capable of finding that path? I imagine so. My interest in in this report is that in this transition, the democracy doesn't become ill-served. And when you say that, it, you know, it, well, it's almost axiomatic that journalists will continue. Yes, some journalists will continue. But the ability of journalists to finance um, the more expensive forms of, uh, of journalism and the ones that really are pitting the journalist in some way against um, major concentrations of power that's, as we know, expensive stuff. That's stuff that requires lawyers to make sure that you don't cross a defamation line. That, you know, takes, you know, six months, a year, perhaps a concentration. It can be done. We, it, it can be done, but it needs to be financed somehow or another. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm just saying that we need to figure out collectively with the wisdom of the people who are gathered around and are, are you know, discussing things at these round tables. And uh, I welcome any of your listeners to send us, you know, their thoughts on on how, you know, we will get to this uh, to the stage and through the transition in a way that does serve democracy. Oh, that's great. Through, through I didn't know there was a wisdom, public, we're going to uh, find the way. Is there a, is the public submitting input on this? Is there, is there like a, an email address or, or a program to solicit that kind of input? They can send it to me directly. Okay. I, will, I will give you my email address and, uh, and you know, yes, they can send it to me directly. So uh, I w- I'll do that right now. Let's do it now. It's ed.greenspawn, O-N, not A-N, at ppform.ca. PP is in public policy, form.ca. I know that the process is not done yet. From where you're standing now, should we expect a recommendation that there be a financial subsidy for the news business? You're right in the uh, lead up to the question. The process is not done yet. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. And you're aware that while we have these conversations, the BBC is beefing up their presence in Canada. New York Times Global is looking at this market. The regional restrictions that stop publishers from just scooping up Canada as, uh, as a market uh, don't exist online. And I think that there are all kinds of new players that uh, are coming to the space. Yeah. And, and, you know, hopefully there's an answer in that in terms of them providing journalism and original journalism in this market for this market relevant to Canada as a polity, to Saskatchewan as a polity, uh, to Regina as a polity, etc. But I'm not too sure that that global players are going to pay enough attention to Canada to both put in uh, a sufficient number of journalists to make a difference. Certainly, they can make a difference at the margins, and uh, and and stick with the program because because uh, this place matters to them. And you know, I think uh, we had a little warning shot with BuzzFeed. You know, set up an operation, hired some very very good journalists, and then decided, well, you know. Canada's not that interesting to us. We're going to uh, uh, scale down. Mm-hmm. The commitment is not as deep. You know, we got to make sure. You know, we 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 can't depend on commitments that aren't uh, sustainable. That is your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. Send me an email. I will read it and I will respond when I can. I'm at Jesse at CanadaLandShow.com. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Commons is back on Tuesday. Shortcuts is back on Thursday. This show is produced by Katie Jensen and syndication of CanadaLand to campus and community radio stations across this country, which we offer for free. Well, that is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.